Welcome to the Alcohol Freedom Podcast, where we're bringing you a modern and judgment-free conversation about how we relate to our drinking habits. I'm Michelle Kapler, and you've got episode 30. Hi, friend. Thanks for being here. Today, I'm going to be sharing a very interesting conversation with my guest speaker, Shandy. Shandy is a fellow coach and somebody who works with women who are going through divorce. And she's also somebody who was in her first year of living an alcohol-free life. So today we wanted to get together and talk about all sorts of things, but mostly all of the firsts in that first year of being alcohol-free. So all of those firsts can be things like your first celebration, like an anniversary, your first Christmas, your first fight with your partner, your first tragedy, your first stressful event, so many things that come up. And she talks about how often so many of those first things came up for her just in the first week alone. And she talked about how she handled it and some of the techniques and coaching tools that she used. And we also talk a little bit about her clients who are women who are newly divorced, who are finding this new identity. And we talk about alcohol and self-medication and how it fits into that context. So it's a really interesting conversation. I hope you enjoy. Before we get into that, I'm going to read her bio for you. Shandy is a family law attorney and certified life coach. In her program, Direction After Divorce, she coaches divorced women on how to win after divorce. You can check out her website or Instagram at direction underscore after underscore divorce and check out her podcast, Divorce with a Twist, which is released every week. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Shandy. Okay. Welcome, Shandy. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So the way that I like to start out all these episodes is I introduced you in the introduction to the episode, but I'd love to hear from you if you would tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Okay. I am, uh, my name is Shandy Arwalis. I am a divorce attorney and a certified life coach. I run a boutique law firm. I've been practicing law for almost 20 years, and I more recently transitioned into the coaching, which has just taken me on a completely new journey, and it's been lots of fun. Amazing. And we're connecting with you here today because you, like many of my listeners, are amazing, high-achieving professional women who have rethought their relationship with drinking. So can you tell us a little bit about your story with alcohol? Okay. Wow. Um, I am 45 and I have been drinking for decades. Actually, as I'm sitting right here, I have gone on the journey of cutting out alcohol and that's been about a year in the making. But um, prior to that, I come from a very um, much of a party city outside of the city of New Orleans. When I was 16, the drinking age was 18. It was the only place in the United States that you could drink at 18. So it rolled down to us. I started drinking at 16 years old. I went to a party college. I partied all through college. Law school was the same. And, you know, before you know it, you're in your late 20s, still drinking. I drank all through my 30s. Um, Not proud of it, but it 
just consumed a large part of my life. And what made you decide that? Because you're pretty much completely alcohol-free at this point, correct? I am. I do want to leave a side note because I tell myself if I want to drink, I can drink. The miraculous thing that has happened with me through coaching has been I lost my desire for it, which is insane because believe me, I had a strong desire for it. And I have to say, I never really regretted drinking. I loved my life. I had a lot of fun. I did a lot of things. You know, um, It wasn't something I wanted to give up completely when I started going down the route of let me see how this is affecting me. I I was concerned sort of for not medical. I didn't have any problems, but I guess being 45, the the most prevalent symptom was I felt I was gaining like retention, inflammation, weight sort of. Um, And I blame the alcohol. Yeah, I hear that. And that's 10, that tends to be a lot of the people that I work with and a lot of the people that listen to this podcast. It's my own story as well that, it's not necessarily that your family is staging interventions and you're losing your job and you're parenting irresponsibly and you're wrapping your car around a tree, you know, every couple of weeks because your drinking is just so out of control and it's bad. It's just that you are creating results in your life and perhaps in your body and your relationships and you don't like those results. So it causes you to take pause. Does that sound familiar to you? Absolutely. But I don't want to seem as if it was no problem at all. I mean, I'm what you would call, I guess, super high functioning. I run, I am a lawyer. I run a law practice. I'm in court four times a week, but I was drinking. I mean, I never hit rock bottom in that way. Correct. But drinking did become a problem in that I found I was drinking 22 to 25 nights a month even if it was a glass of wine or two Fridays were the bottle, uh, you know, the weekends we revved it up and there were, you know, margaritas on Thursday night and it was margaritas until blackout. That's the way, you know, my brain was, was consuming the alcohol and it didn't take a lot. And that kind of scared me. And when I said, Oh, well, I'll take a break or stop. And it became, clear that that was a very difficult thing to do. I then got, you know, I got nervous, but I let it get lead into curiosity. Like, whoa, how is this so hard? I had been consumed with, you know, just alcohol and the COVID hit and how early can you drink? How long, how many days in a row? And it just, I was tired of it. I I didn't want that to be the focus in my life anymore. And I have two small children. I mean, I have an eight-year-old and a 13-year-old. I didn't want to live that example. And all those reasons just kind of accumulated into the perfect storm. And then I did something about it. I love that. Thank you for sharing it. And it sounds like so many people that I talk to about this in that societally and culturally, there's kind of this gray area in between where a lot of us fit, where we're not, you know in a relationship with alcohol that feels good or positive or even neutral, you know, we obviously are having problems because of our drinking and we're recognizing that, but it's not bad enough to, let's say, need to go to meetings or join AA or even identify as an alcoholic. So I think that a lot of people can probably relate to what you're saying. What I want to talk to you about today and what we kind of plan on chatting about was first times. So this is a a relatively new venture for you. How long has it been since you stopped? 
or maybe stopped by accident? Well, I teared off and changed what I was drinking. You know, my go-to was Chardonnay, white wine. And I have not had any Chardonnay since April of 2021. So not quite a year, um, but that is a huge achievement. Um, I then said, you know, oh, I won't have that, but I'll have vodka or tequila with water for my diet. You know, it's constantly making all these concessions. And then I didn't care for those things, but I then was drinking more of them to get the dopamine that my white wine was giving me. So I had to get off all of that. And then I went, you know, like I think a lot of people do nothing during the week or moderate here and there. And then eventually the mind chatter is just so much. And when you get rid of it and it, it was hard work, I have to say, I mean, it was work, but I did it and it, here I am now. And so I haven't had, you know, but I'll choose to drink. I think you asked me this earlier. I leave that room for myself. If I decide that I want to drink, I will plan it and I will have some if I want. I have not done that since New Year's Eve. And we are in going into March, which is a big deal for me. Before New Year's Eve, it was Thanksgiving. And I'm not saying any special occasion or holiday because there's too many special occasions and holidays. I've had to push through those as well. It's interesting to hear you talk about this because what I'm hearing you say is that you didn't necessarily change into a person who doesn't drink, but it does sound as though you've kind of taken on this new identity of somebody whose life doesn't revolve around alcohol. Does that resonate with you? Oh, yes. And it feels good because I guess that is, that's exactly where I would want to be with it. And nice. it was an identity crisis in the beginning. I mean, early sobriety is a, a coin term that I heard and it is a period of hell. Yeah, I hear that. And everybody has a different version of it. Yeah. Right. So you're, you know, coming up on the first year of this new identity and what I talk to people about quite often is that in that first year, there are so many firsts. And so I want to talk about a few of your firsts and how you navigated them. So we kind of talked about, you know, eating at restaurants for the first time or going to the grocery store the first time and seeing the wine aisle or the beer aisle. And I've had all of these same experiences myself. So tell me a little bit about what it was like for you to navigate all of those firsts. Yes. Well, I want to say it didn't take a full year to experience first. You might get the first holiday or Christmas or Easter. But for me, there were so many firsts in the very first week, right? It's almost every move I made. The alcohol was that much a part of what I did on the daily and the money I spent. And yeah, so going out to eat, I could probably say I never went out to eat without ordering wine ever, probably. Um, and if it wasn't wine, it was the margaritas at the Mexican restaurant, or I don't even know what Mexican food would be without margaritas. That's like not having chips and salsa or something. So it was huge. I stayed away from restaurants the first probably couple of weeks. That was very difficult for me. And then I knew that I had to kind of coach my experience, be aware of my thoughts. What is it that I was thinking? What was the big deal? I mean, I kind of had to dig into all of that. And so I started doing lunch. Lunch to me was easier than dinner. I think I had told you when we spoke, I even felt awkward with the waiter. If I wasn't ordering the expensive bottle of wine, I mean, it made me feel 
funny. I tip double. I tip still as if I buy alcohol because my bills are so inexpensive. It it feels weird. And so it was very awkward. I did start with lunch. I drank lots and lots and lots of water, sparkling water. I needed to keep my hands busy. It was weird, but it's absolutely not the same way anymore. I can fine dine. I can go out. I don't even think of it anymore. I don't even think about the alcohol. I think that's something that commonly comes up as, you know, a lot of people who make this change have those couple of things that get in the way. I mean, for me, the thing that kept me from doing this a lot longer than I would have liked, one major thing was, I don't know how I'm going to relax at the end of the day without a glass of wine. And that kind of, that idea of, you know, navigating stress without the wine was something that really got in the way of me even trying this. And I know that for a lot of people going out for dinner with either friends or family or even colleagues, work dinners, a lot of corporate work culture is centered around alcohol as well. Does that resonate with you at all that the idea of dining out maybe kept you drinking in the way that you didn't want to be drinking a little bit longer than you would have liked? Oh, absolutely. That all of it did, you know, and the culture and the going. I mean, it just again, that's it's because it is so wrapped up in your identity. You almost don't know how you would function without it as irrationally crazy as that that is our dependence on this substance, you know. Um, you can function without it. <laughs> I can have dinner without alcohol. I mean, I, but I had to bring myself down to remembering like as a child, as a teen, a young teen, you know, I would tell myself, what did I drink in college at dinner? You know, how did that work for me? Yeah. And what was the answer to that? What, what was the, was it just exposure therapy? Was it just doing it enough times or was there something specific that you felt helped you through those experiences of dining out? Exposure mattered. The more you do it, the easier or more familiar it does become. But I did coach myself very heavily. I don't know how much your listeners are into coaching, but coaching to me was absolutely key. That's just the truth of it. Yeah. Well, and and I think that it's an important piece in all of this. I don't talk about specific coaching tools on the podcast, but I do talk about mind management and thought work. And I think that trying to do this without at least trending towards self-awareness and watching what your mind is doing is just a very different experience. And I happen to think that if you are watching your mind and endeavoring to change the way it works, it can really result in some huge personal growth. And it's a really interesting arena in which to do that because I personally think, and it's been my experience, that if alcohol is your thing and you can learn to sit with discomfort and put yourself in situations where your brain is telling you that you're in harm's way and creating more evidence that you're actually going to be fine and you're not going to die if you don't have a glass of wine. And of course, we can intellectually know that, of course, we're not going to die if we don't have Chardonnay with dinner, but it really feels like that in your body in the moment. And the more we can lean into that, I feel like if you can do that in this context of alcohol is your thing, it translates to so many other areas in life. Right. I absolutely agree. A hundred percent. So let's talk a little bit about the label of alcoholic. I think that you and I are similar in the way that that just wasn't something that we self-identified as. Did you ever consider maybe trying on that label or going to meetings or did you ever feel like you needed that type of intervention? Did you ever question that? 
Um, I did not. Um, certainly not out loud, right? In my head, I probably feared, you know, am I an alcoholic? Is this what fell on me because I had this desire, something uncontrollable that I desired this alcohol and I wouldn't be able to let it go. So that must mean I'm an alcoholic, right? That must mean I have that special something in my body that other people don't have. It was big when in the DSM-4, they've done away with the word alcoholic. There is no disorder of alcoholism. That was huge. And some of the mind management I did was focused on or took the focus off of that. When I learned that I was truly in control of the drinking, it wasn't the drinking or the substance that was in control of me, that was huge for me. Absolutely huge. Because then I started thinking if I caused it, I can, or I did it, I can undo it. If I created this, you know, craving, I can get rid of it. And for some people that may make them feel at fault and they'll go into self-blame. And that's, that. for me, I didn't take it that way. i I felt in control and it made me feel better. So that may not work for everyone, but for me, it did. I I rose up when I said, I am in control of this. It's not in control of me. A hundred percent. And I think that's where it's really interesting to talk to so many people who have such different identities when it comes to this stuff, because I'm in the same boat. The idea of relinquishing my like admitting my powerlessness against a substance and getting humble and seeing my faults and my character flaws, that was actually the opposite of what I needed. And what I found so helpful was kind of taking that personalization out of it and just looking at it as brain chemistry. You know, like we've just developed a habit and this is what it looks like neurologically. And it doesn't mean that I'm some garbage, defective human. It just means that I formed a habit, a neural pathway in my brain. And it was really exciting to me, the thought of actually being able to reverse that or change it or have power over it. So I think everybody's really different. And I love hearing from people who are kind of on the same wavelength, because that's, you know, definitely what I'm talking about here on the podcast. I want to switch the conversation a little bit now to the work that you do. You're a life coach yourself and your clientele are folks who are going through divorce. And I'm assuming that it's mostly women and female identifying individuals. Am I correct there? I do do women. Yes, my program is geared that way. But I do want to clarify, I am a divorce attorney. So obviously I take people through a divorce, but my coaching is post-divorce. It's really not about what the divorce what, you know, how to prepare or what to do in your divorce. It's more after the judgment is signed and you want to move on, you are, you know, taking on a new identity and I work with them in, you know, focusing forward, new goals, over drinking is one, um, overeating different life issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that totally makes sense as an extension of the work that you were already doing because you would have had so many conversations with people and I'm not a divorce attorney and I'm not a divorce (laughs) coach. So I can only imagine these things, but I do imagine that 
For a lot of people, divorce is one of the most traumatic and earth-shattering circumstances that one can be in. And of course, our thoughts are going to shape everything that we do and and the way we act throughout those things. But I'm sure that it's inherently a difficult time for people. And you probably talk to a lot of people who are potentially turning to substances outside of themselves to kind of buffer their way through their experience. Can you speak to a little bit of that in the work that you do? A lot of my clients, let's see, especially younger moms, I'm sure from the alcohol side, you know all about the mommy wine culture. Oh, yeah. And I can tell you, it has become an issue in custody battles. There are more women drinking, more moms drinking, more moms of young children drinking, and they're really caught in a cycle. And you know, by the time they divorce and they're trying to get themselves back on track, they're feeling like they're in a vortex, they're lost. You have small children, your marriage, you know, has already broken up and they're dependent or they feel dependent on this substance. And so I coach a lot of young mothers who want to do away with it, do away with it completely. That makes a lot of sense. And do you find that your clientele is able to, because you're working with people after the divorce is kind of done, and I would assume that they're entering into kind of a healing period after everything is signed and sealed and delivered. And so I would imagine that a lot of people are, you know, if they're looking to hire a coach in the first place, they're kind of wanting to move beyond and take their lives to the next level. Correct. Yes. So I would imagine that some of my listeners are probably in that position. Either they are perhaps navigating a divorce as we have this conversation, or maybe that might be on the future horizon for them, or maybe it happened five years ago and they're just kind of spinning as a result of it. Do you have any advice? I mean, I'm I'm sure you have a ton of advice, um, but is there anything that comes to the forefront of your mind that you would want to tell those women? Yes. What I do tell them, you know, I used to think, you know, you can do it or depend on yourself or go there. But what I realized is when these women would come to me, they were so broken. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but their self-esteem and their self-confidence, you can't tell them you can do it. They truly don't feel like they can. So what I usually advise from the offset is get back to yourself Just get in touch with, start paying attention to what am I feeling? What am I thinking? Journaling or writing really is so valuable in the beginning. You'll have thoughts that you won't even realize you have and it, and it can help you to get them out and it will get you back in touch, you know, with yourself. And that's the first step. I love that. It's such a powerful exercise because unless you're actually sitting down and consciously deciding to watch your brain and your mind and see what comes out, half the things that come out of our brains, we just take for granted as total fact and reality. (laughs) But if (laughs) if you're writing it down and looking at it on paper, at least you can kind of get curious and question it. And it's perfectly a valid choice and it's perfectly okay to keep those thoughts if you like them and if you want them. 
And so if you want to continue to think that your ex-husband is the worst person imaginable, then that's fine. But at least you're doing so from a place of consciousness and knowing and, and deliberate choice. Right. It makes all the difference. Yeah. I love that. So I would imagine that there are people listening to this that think, well, Shady's probably exactly who I want to work with. So how do people find <laughs> you? How do people work with you? Tell us everything. I have a website at directionafterdivorce.com. We also have an Instagram page, direction underscore after underscore divorce. If you visit my website or the Instagram page, you can click the link. We have some freebies, an ebook you can get on our mailing list or book a consult and talk to me and we can pull you into a six-week coaching program. Amazing. And what is the coaching container that you use? Is it group work? Is it one-to-one that you offer? We do both. I do have some one-on-one spots available now at certain points in the year. It, when that you know gets to be overloaded, we'll do group or you know the one-on-one gets on a waiting list. Nice. Okay, perfect. That's great. I'll make sure that I link all of that up in the show notes so people can click it and find you easily. Anything else you want to leave us with? Any parting words? Um, Well, for your listeners, I did want, you had me contemplate a question for um, non-drinkers or people who maybe want to change their relationship with alcohol. I would want to tell people to be open to new information, clean up your feeds on social media. You mentioned earlier in this podcast, and it was critical for me too, filtering in new information, learning new factual information. It was kind of like a screen. You'd poke holes in and the light would shine through. Once I learned things, I couldn't unlearn them. And so, you know, get rid of the mommy juice Instagram and, you know, go to the naked mind or there's so many nails, sober, curious places to be. And that would be helpful. I love that. And that's something I talk about all the time where, you know, just because you start asking these questions, it doesn't mean that you immediately have to quit drinking the minute you start asking questions. It's perfectly okay to spend time in these spaces with these people who have kind of done what you're thinking about doing and just hearing them and listening to them and kind of putting yourself in those shoes for a little bit. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's not like, rehab where you enter and then all of a sudden you have to stop drinking forever and you can never pick up a drink again. It's perfectly okay to take your time. As I said in previous episodes, I questioned my drinking for a good 10 years before I I wondered if I had a problem for at least 10 years before I actually became alcohol free. So that's really great. Just that's good advice that if you can fill your world with different examples and different possibilities, that can be everything. Right. Amazing. Well, Shandy, thank you so much for being here. I will make sure that all of your info is available for people to find you if they want. And we'll look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you, Michelle. It was really a pleasure. 